0: This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. The Los Angeles Auto Show is in the books, and it was the site of several new vehicle introductions. We'll have them for you. And if you'd like to know the most unreliable cars in America, Consumer Reports has its opinion. We'll talk a bit about that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and drivingtoday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Redd. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based at one end of the country. I'm at the other one, and one thing we have in common is testing cars, uh, This is a wonderful gala Thanksgiving week. Uh, We always give thanks for what we're able to do, including the ability to test cars for a living. That's kind of a nice thing. And Chris, you're kind of in almost at ground zero for Thanksgiving. What's it like uh, at your house and uh, in your area Thanksgiving time?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, things are looking up around here. It's uh, been fall for quite a while. All the leaves are almost gone. Uh, but thankfully we've got all of our shopping done and we were able to uh, enjoy a, a nice Thanksgiving. Speaking of the, the most unreliable cars, I'll be interested to talk about that because I'm sure that I've probably owned uh, two or three of them, at least at this point. Uh, but how are things on your side of the world?
0: Uh, things are terrific. Uh, things going well. Uh, two of my daughters are home with us and uh, we'll, we will have a third here uh, fairly soon. So that's terrific. Uh, great thing. This week, we also have a great guest for you. Our special guest is Derek Jenkins. He is the chief designer for Lucid and the designer of the Lucid Air electric luxury sedan. We had a chance to sit down with him recently as Lucid made its first deliveries to paying customers. That was a gale occasion, too. And he has a lot of interesting things to say about designing a leading edge EV. So stay stay with us for that. In the road test segment, what are you driving, Chris?
1: I drove a 2022 Lincoln Corsair.
0: Yeah, and we have kind of a, a comparison, actually, of uh, of luxury or, or premium, at least, uh, SUVs, because I was driving the 2022 Buick Envision ST. So uh, we'll tell you all about that, too. So we have news for you, the most unreliable cars in the country for you, and uh, news from the uh, Los Angeles Auto Show. So a lot going on on the show this week, and we're so glad Chris Teague is with us. Uh, so stay with us, everybody, for uh, more of America on the Road. When we come back, we will have driving news for you, including what was the latest and hottest and coolest at the Los Angeles Auto Show. So stay with us for that. Thanks for so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jackney Redback back with you. And it is news time. And A lot of news this week because uh, I was able to attend the Los Angeles Auto Show, which uh, just has been unfolding in, of course, Los Angeles. And uh, very cool stuff shown there. I mean, if you want to see electric vehicles, well, it was the place to go because there's a lot of new electric stuff there. And uh, I'm also happy to report that a lot of people attended. Uh, Certainly the press days were crowded and Of course, the North American Car of the Year uh, finalists were announced. I was a a little bit part of that uh, procedure. That opened the auto show, so a lot going on at the auto show. But let's talk a bit about the vehicles that uh, got attention at the show. I think uh, one of the vehicles that was introduced around the show, not necessarily right at the show, was the Toyota BZ4X. Uh, It has kind of a confusing name, but it is their uh, latest and greatest battery electric and uh, one of the new line of battery electrics that Toyota has promised us now. Uh, BZ is essentially their brand for their battery electrics. Uh, This is a compact sport utility vehicle, uh, probably uh, a good start. What do you think, Chris?
1: I think so. You know, Toyota has been slow to the game with EVs, but it looks like they've got a strong start here, the crossover. I mean, it it looks like a Toyota. It probably drives like a Toyota. It's you know not too exciting, not too bland these days, um, but uh, I'll be excited to drive it. I mean, I, it doesn't look like it's going to be anything super duper exciting, but uh, if it's solid and offers the range that they say that they hope it will, uh, I think it'll sell pretty well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're you're right that uh, it seems like uh, Toyota has been a bit uh, dragging its feet in terms of battery electrics. But one thing that they mentioned to me, uh, and I happen to be on the uh, event where they uh, introduced the vehicle, was that uh, they're not so vocal about what they're doing in terms of future products. They'd like to keep it a little close to the vest until they announce things. And so uh, I think maybe they'll be a little bit more vocal. But we hear a a lot of uh, companies kind of crowing about what they're going to do in the next five years and the next 10 years in terms of electrics. And I think Toyota's a little more reticent about that. Maybe that's a good thing. I think they're kind of conservative in what they talk about. Uh, Another vehicle that was launched at the show to great hoopla was the Subaru Solterra, which is essentially the sister ship of the Toyota BZ4X. Uh, uh, They were co-developed by those two companies. Uh, what's your take on one versus the other, Chris, or just on the Solterra itself?
1: Well, I think that in order for the Solterra to exist, the BZ4X has to exist. So I think, you know, that's that's a good thing, uh, at least from a Toyota standpoint. If you if you like uh, EVs, you think, you know, you have to have one to have the other. So uh, I think that's good. So I, I don't have any problem with the BZ4X. I don't have any problem with the Solterra either. Uh, you know, I think that Subaru has done enough to differentiate it from the Toyota and it's got its own look. It looks a little bit more rugged, like a Subaru should, right? So, uh, very good on them there. Uh, again, I want to drive it. You know, I think these vehicles um, are kind of middle of the road, and and we'll see where they go. But uh, I think more EVs the better.
0: Yeah, and I think middle of the road might be the right way, or right course for mainstream electric vehicles. I think uh, the companies want to mainstream them as opposed to have them uh, live on the edge of the market. And I think that's the the desire there. Uh, there was another vehicle that's kind of playing in the same sandbox and it is the Nissan Araya. Uh, they have been talking a bit about that for quite a, quite a long time. I think Nissan uh, wants uh, some light at their, at the end of their particular tunnel here. And the Araya is uh, one of those vehicles that I I think will lead them out of the, the wilderness a little bit. Uh, it is also uh, very similar to the two vehicles we just talked a bit about. I mean, that's going to be a very crowded segment, uh, don't you think, Chris?
1: I think so. But to your earlier point about Toyota staying kind of mum on the details of their their EVs and their programs, I think that's been the pitfall that Nissan had. You know, I, I understand the excitement to get the word out, but it's been, what, like a year, year and a half since we started hearing about this thing, and we're just now seeing it. So um, that said, it's a very upscale looking vehicle. I think they've done a great job with the styling. Um, and I think it's it, it's a real standout, even if it is kind of in that middle of the road space that we just talked about. So um, I'm looking forward to the Araya.
0: Yeah, I think uh, people will have a lot of choices in that segment when it comes to electric vehicles. And you wonder if there is... The volume there. Of course, that is a a big, big segment, so it makes sense to launch in that segment, but at the same time, will it support all of these uh, electric vehicles that are being dropped into it? Another vehicle that's going to be there is the Fisker Ocean. And Henrik Fisker uh, has been kind of a a peripatetic guy (laughs) through the uh, auto industry over the course of the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, Of course, he uh, had his own vehicle line. I think in the, in the early 2000s and then uh, that kind of went awry and uh, now he's back with a, a different company and a different car. It's going to be built in Europe. It is also electric. It's also essentially a, a mid-size crossover vehicle. What do you think about the ocean?
1: I think it's definitely, you know, coming from Fisker, so it's not that surprising that it's designed forward. But, uh, man, it's a standout. I haven't seen it in person. I'm sure you did. Uh, It looks great in photographs. The styling is there. I think they've got the price point right too. what is it going to start at under $40,000. So I hope they succeed. Again, I've said this many times, you know, the more choices in the market, the better. Uh, Can the segment support, you know, 50 middle-of-the-road electric crossovers? We'll have to see. But, uh, that's where the consumers to sort out. So uh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: I think it'll be fascinating, Chris, because you're going to have uh, vehicles like the Araya and the Solterra from companies that everybody's heard of. You know, companies with a, a particular aura about them that uh, people understand. And then you're going to have these upstarts like Fisker. And are people going to prefer something from a uh, startup company like Fisker, or will they prefer something from a a tried and true company that operates in the conventional manner? I mean, uh, the jury is still out on that, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think from a, just the, you mentioned the brand Aura, you know, people talk about Toyotas being dependable and Subarus being sort of rugged and they all have that personality about them but you don't know anything about Fisker at this point in time really Uh, so it'll be interesting to see you know especially as people look at reliability and cost of service and I realize that electrics are different than gas uh, in many regards on that front but um, I I can't really wait to see I really can't wait to see um, how things play out because you know a lot of these companies even Rivian the really large you know well-funded companies have a long way to go before they have a reputation that even comes close to like a legacy brand of Toyota or Ford or any of those other guys.
0: Right, absolutely true. Well, there was plenty more from the LA show, and maybe we will tell you about it in our next show, because I want to get to this list of the least reliable cars that we talked a bit about in the first segment. And Consumer Reports, of course, puts their list of reliable vehicles and uh, they test reliability or not not quite test actually they actually survey their subscribers the people who subscribe to consumer reports uh, a huge survey that they do about vehicles out there and let me uh, give you the 10 least reliable cars I will just count uh, count down through the list from down to the least reliable kind of in Casey Kasem style and then maybe we'll have a second or two to talk a bit about it. But number 10 is the Subaru Ascent. The number nine car is the Chrysler Pacifica, their minivan. Number eight is the Tesla Model Y. Number seven, the Volkswagen Tiguan. Then the Volvo XC90. Uh, And here's the bottom five, the Chevrolet Corvette, the Chevrolet Silverado and GMC Sierra 1500 pickup trucks, the Ford Mustang, the Ford Explorer, And the least reliable vehicle, according to Consumer Reports, is the Mercedes-Benz GLE. Uh, That's kind of an interesting list, don't you think, Chris?
1: I think so. And just as I said earlier, I do actually currently own one of the vehicles on the list. So we'll see where that ends up taking uh, my family and myself. But interesting to see the American pickup trucks on there. You know, I would think at the volume that they're building those, that they would have kind of come to some efficiencies. But, uh, you know, Tesla's not a huge surprise to see, but... uh, you know the the GLE. I, I haven't driven one of those of you.
0: I have driven one and I liked it. I, I didn't find it unreliable. But uh, you know, I you know this is a a survey of I think three hundred thousand people or something like that. It is also not necessarily a scientific survey. It's a big survey, but it it, it doesn't necessarily sample similar numbers of people in various classes. And you know, I'm not a survey expert, but uh, I think this differs pretty significantly from what J.D. Power. Uh, reports in their uh, dependability index, so, uh, you know, different different strokes, but I thought that was a bit of interesting information for everybody, and that's what we're, we're here to present. We don't either endorse or uh, deny this list, at least I don't.
1: Oh, I'm going to deny it if, I, if my car is on it, but we'll see.
0: There you go, and when we come back, we will have a comparison test, or at least be talking about two very similar vehicles, the 2022 Lincoln Corsair and the 2022 Buick Envision ST. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nyrad with you. And thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. (music) Welcome back, everyone, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nyrad. It's road test time. And we have what amounts to a comparison test between some uh, premium SUVs, uh, the Lincoln Corsair and the Buick Envision, both popular vehicles, and uh, fighting in a very uh, complex (laughs) Bunch of competitors. Chris, tell us a bit about the Lincoln Corsair.
1: Absolutely, Jack. Well, the Corsair is Lincoln's uh, smallest crossover. I think that all they make now is uh, crossovers and SUVs, at least here in the United States. So uh, above it in the Lincoln uh, lineup, there's the Nautilus, the Aviator and the Navigator, which is probably the one that most people have heard of. One of the things that I really like about Lincoln, at least with their crossover designs, is that they've been able to kind of shrink that larger navigator look down into the uh, midsize, and in this case, the compact uh, SUV segment. And it works well on, on a small body. I tested the reserve trim of the Corsair, which is right in the middle. There's uh, the base trim, which is standard around $37,000. Uh, the reserve starts at right around forty-two grand, And then there's a uh, Grand Touring, which is a plug-in hybrid that starts at just over fifty-one. Uh, with options, that $42,000 price tag of the reserve climbed to around $50,000. Uh, we'll get into some of those features a little bit later. But, Jack, I want to get your feeling on uh, the pricing of these things. That's uh, almost $50,000 for a compact SUV. Uh, what's your feeling on the value of the, you know, the compact luxury SUV these days?
0: Well, I, in, in particular, the Lincoln Corsair, I have to scratch my head a little bit about the value because I know it's based on a, a Ford product that's very similar and it uh, costs much less. So you have that. Uh, and it is styled quite differently. It has a much more luxurious interior than the Ford equivalent. So I get it. But at the same time, the underpinnings are all Ford. So uh, I scratch my head again about the the high price there. I think there's some alternatives that are equally good or maybe a, a bit better in terms of value.
1: I think that's a, a completely valid point. Uh, speaking of Ford, under the hood of the Lincoln is a turbocharged 2.3-liter inline-four. You might have heard of this as an EcoBoost engine at other points in time. Uh, it's 295 horsepower, 310 pound-feet of torque uh, through an 8-speed transmission, automatic transmission through all four wheels. Uh, there is a front-wheel drive version, but you can only get that in the lower trim, which comes with a 2-liter uh, inline four-cylinder engine. Uh, Jack, i got to say, you know, for a four-cylinder engine, it's quiet, it's refined. As you would expect from a Lincoln, I guess that's not surprising here, uh, and it's surprisingly, you know, strong for for a, what a, what is otherwise a very laid-back uh, luxury SUV. Lincoln does a good job with noise cancellation and with ride quality, and that's exactly what uh, is shown here, where you can't really hear the engine even under heavy throttle. It's just kind of an after thr- Afterthought, you can hear it kind of burbling away. Um, very little wind noise, very little tire and road noise inside the vehicle, uh, making it great for uh, parents of young children. As I found out a couple of years ago when my kids were younger, they get in the back of the, the Corsair or any other Lincoln, uh, and they just they fall asleep. So I think for a lot of people, that's probably a benefit. Inside, there are, I think it's 31-way power front seats with massaging features. Uh, Lincoln does very good with their seat design. They're very comfortable. There's plenty of headroom and legroom. Jack, we talk about my height a lot, and I'm going to bring it back here. I haven't in quite a few weeks. I'm six feet tall, and even with uh, an adult of my height in the back seat, there's not a lot of, you know, sort of fighting for position. I will say that I would probably reserve the back seat if you're going to put an adult back there for shorter trips. And Jack, I know you've got a, a larger family, so what are your thoughts of sort of a smaller SUV versus a larger SUV? Is it worth sort of the trade-off on fuel economy and, and maneuverability to have more room for your family. I, I know that you, I know your opinion on it, but what do you think?
0: Uh... <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, I guess my opinion is what we've done and we have a larger three row vehicle and we have, but we have a Chevrolet, you know, we don't have a luxury brand vehicle. And so I think we've saved some money there. We also have kept that vehicle for a really long time. So uh, I think that's another way that we have economized. And I think there's a, a lot to be said for that. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm a proponent of the larger vehicle uh, because you're going to need that space every now and then. And as, as your children have playmates that they want to go somewhere or they're on a sports team or something like that, it's good to have that extra row of seats.
1: I think I'm coming around to your way of thinking. You know, I mentioned the back seats spacious, but when you need to carry gear and people, especially if you're carrying four people plus gear, that's where a vehicle like the Corsair starts to show uh, its limitations. And it's just the the design of its size or it's just by design of its size uh that doesn't mean that it's a bad vehicle or or that it shouldn't be on your shopping list if you're looking for a compact suv but i will say with two children a dog and some gear uh, it starts to feel a little tight Uh, that said the interior is otherwise very well equipped it runs uh it's called lincoln Sync 3 it's also ford Sync 3. Uh, it's a colorful system it's very responsive on the infotainment screen Uh, It's an 8.0-inch touchscreen, and there's a 12.3-inch digital display. So uh, you've got plenty of tech in this guy. It's got a head-up display, um, all the safety features. Uh, So everything works quite well together. I have questions on the price tag, and I think that for a family of four or larger, uh, you'd want to look elsewhere, but otherwise a very solid effort.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I like that vehicle for the right person, and I don't know that it's necessarily a uh a young family, I think it's, it's probably more like empty nesters or something like that, They're, are maybe uh, more likely to uh, find the Lincoln Corsair appealing to them. And, you know, for two adult couples uh, going to the golf course, uh, maybe it's just the ticket. So there you go. Well, I was driving the Buick Envision, and it's one of those vehicles that's pretty likable. And yet at the same time, I go, well, there's probably others in the segment that are better, (laughs) you know, frankly. I do like the vehicle. It is about the same size as the uh, Lincoln Corsair. Where it differs pretty significantly is in the powertrain department, uh, and we'll get to that. Uh, The one we had uh, to test was the ST, which stands for Sport Touring, and so that gives you a little, uh, you know, maybe a tingle like, oh, this is going to be sporty. There's going to be some some power here and handling. It's going to be fun to drive in addition to being a nice kind of compact SUV, luxury or premium SUV. Well, not so much, (laughs) really. I mean, the sport touring package only includes 20-inch aluminum wheels and alloy sport pedals and black roof rails. And then there's some floor mats with the ST, uh, ST logo on them and a cargo cover. So that, that doesn't make it handle all that sporty. Maybe it looks a little sportier. It certainly looks sportier with the 20-inch aluminum wheels, I would say. So it looks good. But beyond that, uh, it handles just like virtually all the other Envisions, which is just fine. It's not on the sporty realm at all. It's more comfort and, and quiet, which is maybe the way it should be. The Envision as a whole is, is pretty well-equipped. Uh, the preferred model, which is the lowest end model, starts about thirty three thousand dollars and it has things like eight way power front seats, uh, synthetic leather seating surfaces. It has an eight inch infotainment touchscreen that that goes up to uh, a ten point two inch when you uh, climb the ladder a little bit in terms of trim levels. It does have wireless Apple carplay and Android auto, which uh, are some advantages. Uh, When you go up to the Essence trim, which is the mid-level trim, it's about $38,000 and you get the 10.2-inch infotainment touchscreen, remote start. There's a panoramic moonroof. How do you feel about uh, panoramic moonroofs and sunroofs, Chris? I I have my own opinion, (laughs) but I'm, I'm curious as to yours. I don't think we've talked a bit about this.
1: Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with them. Uh, you know, I think I enjoy them for the light and the openness, the open feeling that they give the cabin of the vehicle. Um, our Volvo XC90 has one. It looks great. On the downside, uh, you know, here in Maine, we're not living in the desert like you guys are so much. But in the summer, man, those those panoramic roofs, it gets hot in the car. And then the other thing is there's a lot of wind noise and, and a lot of noise that comes through it. So I think it's a trade-off. Um, for us, it's something that we are willing to make, but a lot of people don't.
0: Yeah, I'm not a big fan, frankly. I I like maybe a metal roof, would be just fine by me. You know, it strikes me that uh, both the moon roofs and sunroofs that open and those that don't, uh, you're letting in a lot of light and maybe that's a good thing. But like you say, you get a lot of heat gain. We get a lot of sun where I live, so (laughs) it's heat gain all the time. But getting back to the uh, Getting back to the Buick here, it does have in this trim, the trim that we were testing it in, the Bose Premium 9-Speaker Audio System. So there's a lot of good stuff in it. I am underwhelmed by the engine. Only one engine is available. It's a two-liter, two, uh, two four-cylinder, 228 horsepower. That's not a, a horrible amount of horsepower. It's not great either. It's And maybe I'm getting spoiled uh, in this segment because there's a lot of higher horsepower uh, models out there. Uh, it has a nine-speed automatic transmission. So, you know, competent powertrain. This, interestingly, also is a vehicle that is built in China. Maybe the, well, it's certainly the highest selling vehicle that is built in China that's uh, sold in the United States. What's your take on the powertrain in the Buick Envision, Chris?
1: I agree with you on the power output. You know, I think I found that it was a very smooth powertrain, um, even if it didn't feel all that, you know, powerful or engaging. Uh, mostly stayed out of the way. It's quiet. Uh, which is what you probably want from a Buick. So, um, I guess they achieved their goal there.
0: Yeah, I think uh, they achieved their goal in terms of overall Buickness. Uh, that's not sportiness. So the ST maybe was uh, not the not the way to go here. Or you get that sporty look and you get uh, you know Buick kind of feel and quiet and you know maybe that's what the buyer wants. There's there's nothing wrong with it. I think there's a lot of value at the uh, at the price. So uh, I think there's in in many ways, a lot to like about the Buick Envision. I, again, I think uh, for both of these vehicles that we've, we've tested in this week's show, these are nice vehicles for the right person, but uh, maybe there are others that uh, you and I would prefer to have.
1: I agree with that statement completely. Well, good.
0: Uh, and I think that's where we are with these vehicles, the Lincoln Corsair and the Buick Envision ST form this time around. And when we come back, we will have an interview with Derek Jenkins. He is the chief designer for Lucid. The Lucid Air was just named one of the finalists for the North American Car of the Year. We had a chance to speak with him recently, so we will have that interview for you. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack red with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack red back with you, and we have a terrific guest you. Derek Jenkins is the uh, Senior Vice President of Design and Brand at Lucid. And Lucid, Lucid might be a name that's not necessarily familiar to you listeners. Uh, they make an electric car that I've been driving today, and uh, the gentleman we're about to talk to uh, designed this car. Derek, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Describe to our
2: listeners what we were driving today. So that is a, a labor of love over the last six to seven years. Uh, it's called Lucid Air. It's a fully electric vehicle, uh, a luxury vehicle, and uh,
0: we're just super excited to have it on the road today. It is exciting. It's an exciting day, and this is uh, you delivered cars to customers for the first time today. I mean, tell us what a, a, a milestone this is for you as the designer of this vehicle to see this come to fruition
2: it's a huge milestone i mean you know if i look back on this for me personally this six and a half year journey when you set out onto something like this you come into it super excited a little bit naive if you will (laughs) even even as a 20-year automotive industry veteran you come into it like yeah let's start a car company and then it's like you know two three four years in you're like what were we thinking? You know, this is a this is harder than I thought. This is not easy. <laughs> right. I don't uh, I don't just randomly recommend it. But um, uh, for us to get to this stage, to have the car complete coming out of our factory in Arizona, and to be uh, earlier today r- riding in the car with uh, our first customers is thrilling
0: and an honor yeah well it was an honor uh for me to drive it and be one of the first members of the press to drive that and uh, on on this very special day i am really curious as to how you would describe this car you know in, in a little more detail than you've already described yeah, it. Sure. Tell, tell our listeners about yeah it. sure i
2: mean from the day one you know working together with our our ceo cto peter rawlinson we knew we wanted a car that was exceptional and really took ev uh, electric vehicles to another level um, and when we say another level, we're, we're primarily focused on three main areas, and that's packaging, which means more interior space in the car. Um, its efficiency, which is comes down to how much energy it takes to go a, a, a mile down the road, and um, its performance, just straight up performance. And and um, we've really been able to optimize all all three of those things to the extent that there's very little, or if any, real. Um, downside or a compromise to the customer, and that is, in our opinion, the ultimate luxury—to um, be able to have incredible performance, incredible space and comfort, um, incredible range, zero emissions, sustainable technology, um, a beautiful design—you know—is this kind of?
0: I was d- hoping you'd say something about the design. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the design <laughs> is is, is symbiotic
2: important. with the function of the vehicle, and, and right. that's super important. And, and certainly, we can talk more about that. But I, I see as the technology and the experience and the design is is one one main big thing you
0: know yeah let's talk about about electrics and packaging you know what that does for you what restrictions that puts on you is probably both right describe those for us yeah yeah i mean so much of this is based
2: on kind of some of our core competence at, um, at lucid which is our we call it our energy focus, which is um, our battery, our motor, inverter, um, our software, and all the technology that drives the car. It's all developed in-house. It's our proprietary technology. We have a very compact battery. It's low profile, it allows us to build a low car or a tall car. We have very compact and energy dense drivetrain and inverter, again, which packages beautifully in the front of the car and the rear of the car. Um, and allows us to optimize the space on a given footprint, you know, we, we're, we've tried to keep the, the car in a mid-size on the outside, which is manageable, easy to park, good in urban settings, but... On the inside, it's like a full-size luxury sedan, so you really can stretch out plenty of space. Glass roof, you know,
0: gives this open very Glass roof is amazing. Feeling. It's really amazing.
2: And the, the balance of those two things, you know, who doesn't want a lot of space in the car if they still have something that's youthful and agile and sporty and comfortable, and that, that's been kind of the, the focus. And EV, and especially I think the approach of Lucid, enables that um,
0: optimized experience let mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit about the design of this vehicle specifically uh, What were you trying to get across i mean i, I think with an electric vehicle, there might be the um, the idea that you can go farther out there mm-hmm. right not be conventional you don't have to be you're not you don't have the restraints of an internal combustion engine that's going to take this much space up front and etc et cetera yeah you know describe to me how you approach this whole project yeah. You know,
2: I think once I understood early on, I think I came into the project a little bit not fully comprehending what we were about to take on. Once I understood, uh, after working with Peter for a little while, I understood what was possible from a packaging standpoint, and what was possible from a performance standpoint. And to achieve that, I felt like you know, we want. The, of course, we want the car to be sporty. Of course, we want it to look luxury and all that. But there was less pressure to follow traditional luxury, sporty cues from it. Just purely from an aesthetic standpoint, because you know, having been in the industry for twenty years at that point, it was like, okay, luxury is this. It's a long hood and a big grill and lots of chrome. And if it's sporty, it's got to have a big mouth and look mean and it was like well hold up this is going to be the most advanced car on the road it's going to be the probably the quickest car on the road let's go the other way let's make it effortless like a jet let's just there's no point to follow traditional cues that say it's sporty or luxury let's go the other way and so then it became a process of reduction taking away what was no longer necessary that was just Left over from internal combustion,
0: let's just subtract it. And, and, so th- and talk a bit about some of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, grill I, seems like an obvious the, one, right? The grill you know, that is that
2: obvious, but but as a designer, you're still like, yeah, but what if people don't think think it looks cheap? It doesn't look worthy of its right? You know, quite frankly, I mean, a grill kind of gives a car a face, right? It does. It yeah. does. It's it's a it's a form of jewelry, and that jewelry has been established for a hundred plus years. It is a Um, decor uh, around the radiator right that's where it comes from Mm -hmm. and it's just evolved over time and everybody puts their their decor around it and, and it's like okay well we have radiators but they're tiny by comparison to a v8 or a v12 twin turbo configuration so we can reduce that down optimize it put it lower in the car it's better for aerodynamics better for weight distribution more compact and so, well, what do we do? You know, we have amazing lighting technology. We have an incredible lighting signature. So that all went into the light blade. All that, uh, uh, that l- let's say, decor or um, imagery went into the, to the light signature, and that's the light bri- blade on the front of the car. The rest of it, we just subtracted and kept it super clean. And it turns out that's also really good for aerodynamics. So we really treated the front of the car as let's make it aero functional as much as possible. Don't add fake vents, fake slots, uh, you know, try to be genuine with it. Um, And so that served us well, both from an aerodynamic standpoint, and I think it's also partly or greatly responsible for the aesthetic takeaway that people get from the car, which, you know, is... If you're if you're serious about efficiency and you're serious about EV, I think it's 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 a hopefully it's a, 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 a I don't I hate this term but kind of trendsetter of, of things to come.
0: Talk to me a bit about uh, the roof line. To me, the roof line and then kind of the deck lid and that that transition from the roof line into the deck lid is the, uh, the coolest part of the car. To yeah. me, I think it's it's really really trick and uh, you know I haven't seen that like that anywhere yeah. which I, I i really respect appreciate talk that. talk a bit about that
2: i mean i think uh, the the car's fairly low for a, a full size or a mids even a midsize sedan it's more of a it's got more of a coupe height you know and and there's no way to fake proportions right and low and wide looks great right it looks great on the road especially for a sports coupe or a sport luxury sedan it just looks good and so the we kept the car fairly low and that's a testament to the packaging of the car because it's still very spacious once you're inside the car and then the silhouette of the car uh, slopes quite aggressively in the back but i wouldn't call it a fastback there's still very clearly a bustle to the back of the car Mm -hmm. that makes it still a sedan and Um, We also have then divided the roof from the belt line of the car. The belt line is where the Sheet metal of the body hits the glass of the car We've divided that and from that point above then we have this very clear material separation Where it goes to a a silver metallic or, or aluminum finish and that really defines the cab and the cabin's very long for such a car And then around the back of the car, we've got this nice wraparound um I would almost call it slightly nostalgic type treatment to the rear glass Which, which again is kind of um, almost aircraft like and it's yes yeah. design. I to mean, I it.
0: almost saw Avanti there a little uh, bit, Yeah, that, you yeah. know
2: i uh, had a lot of uh, people um, reference like um, Citroen mm-hmm. DS uh, Saab, you know, these are all cars that had a strong aeronautical influence um, mostly from the 40s and I think I think that probably has some... There's a streamlining aesthetic that comes from that era, I would say, is not the predominant influence, but certainly where I think some of that comes from.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about performance. This is a super fast car with tons of horsepower, uh, also a lot of range, uh, which is interesting that you can put both together. Tell our listeners a bit about that. Yeah. I know it's not exactly designed, but yeah, it's... I mean,
2: uh, I have to channel through Peter Rawlinson a little bit on this, but you know, I think, um, we've, we've always said, and he's always said that we set out first and foremost to make a car with incredible range and incredible efficiency. And so the battery pack, you know, is a given size and you have a given capacity of kilowatt hours. Um, and then the focus of efficiency on, on the motors, like how much energy does it take to go a mile down the road? And if you can optimize that, you know, in our case, we've gotten up to 4.6, um, kilowatt hours per mile which is um, incredible and very efficient and and so that allows us to optimize that and really get range now, it's not just the motors, it's not just the batteries, it's the entire efficiency of the system throughout,
0: climate control, lighting, electronic architecture, etc. Yeah, I mean, lightning, uh, lightning, yeah. <laughs> with an E in it, all of that kind of stuff, That's uh, right. and design. And, you and, know, aerodynamics, aerodynamics certainly may. Yeah, you know, is I a big mean, portion of that, is,
2: too. Um, the, we can definitely say at this point it's the most aerodynamic sedan in the world. Yeah, yeah. which is uh,
0: an amazing achievement, and it looks great. Uh, which is it's not, which just not always <laughs> easy to do. Yeah, not a, not an <laughs> overused bar of soap, yeah. as well well when you describe to others design what part of the design do you like the best which which, which part do you think is yeah, the, the I, coolest thing that yeah. is on this car
2: i mean you know i, I kind of stick to the fundamentals i, I always try to get a, good, a nice proportion to the car first and foremost i'm pretty proud of the fact that we could make something that looks worthy of its price that is not following traditional standards meaning the long hood the, the coupe cabin it, it's it's a unique proportion. It's a, it's got a fairly small hood. It's got a very long cabin and a very very small trunk, visually.
0: Yet a big trunk opening. Yet you've got a big
2: opening yeah. and fairly great volume in uh, right. both in the yeah. trunk as well as the front the front trunk. Um, and so we've been able to really optimize that. So I'm I'm pretty proud of the fact that we've been able to optimize the proportion of the vehicle to look the part on the road and have a presence. But at the same time, be very efficient with space architecture and deal with the aerodynamic uh, needs. Um, and then I'm I'm super pleased with the, the kind of face signature of the car. This light blade, simple aero openings, simplicity to the rear rear of the car. Those and you are my have favorite. more
0: cars coming, right, or more vehicles coming? Yeah. Exactly. And, and probably do they pick up the same kind
2: of look overall? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, we it's so important for us to um once we've we've established air and what the values of, of lucid are with efficiency and performance in space and so now we're applying that to an SUV crossover which carries that those values but also has a signature so people would immediately know once they know the lucid air they would immediately know that that's the that's the SUV from lucid we call it gravity it's called project gravity that name will probably stick and uh, and uh, I, I I'm if 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 you're inclined to like the aesthetic and feel of air, I'm pretty sure people will will also this will also appeal to them.
0: Well, very cool, Derek Jenkins. Thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate Thank you. it. Uh, thanks for letting me be a little tiny part of this uh, really big day for you. I appreciate that. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back. Welcome back to America on the Road. With- This is Jack Mirad with you, and thanks so much for being with us. As we sum up the show today, it is listener question time, as it usually is, and we love taking your listener questions. Uh, Chris, I have a question for you, apropos where you live, among other things. Here's a question from Terrence in Mackinac City, Michigan. Terrence asks this, I have a new teenage driver in my household, and I'm concerned about winter driving skills. Do you have any advice for me?
1: Well, yes, I do. And first I should say, I wish somebody taught me winter driving skills when I moved here from Charlotte back in 2010. Uh, But I would say this, you know, it's all about feel and you can give lessons and you can talk about driving in the snow all you want, but until you actually get them out in a safe parking lot or a safe area where they're kind of isolated away from Hills and other cars and things and let them feel through how the tires, you know, chew through and grip on ice and snow. If there is any grip at all, how the steering wheel reacts and most importantly, braking and acceleration, because uh, as we know, a lot of people tend to way overestimate their ability to stop in snow. And that's one of the big problems around here is where you see people kind of rear ending or sliding out into intersections. So I would say this, get the, get as much practice as you can, in a controlled environment to teach them how the car reacts uh, when they brake quickly, when they accelerate quickly, uh, that way that when they actually feel those things in motion, they'll be able to react as they were trained and not be, you know, not just trying to rely on a, on a lesson.
0: I think finding that snowy, empty parking lot and putting your teenage driver out there in the vehicle where they can't really do a whole lot of damage and let them get the sense of the vehicle, it actually teaches them a lot of car control skills that uh, actually come into play on dry roads or on on slick surfaces with uh, rain as opposed to snow. There's a lot of great car control techniques that you can learn as you're driving in snowy conditions. I certainly found that when I grew up in the Chicago area and we had plenty of snow to deal with.
1: Yeah, maybe even more than here sometimes.
0: Well, I think that is our show for this week. So, Chris, thanks so much for being with us. As always, you do a marvelous job co-hosting the show. It's always wonderful to speak to you. And uh, happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. Thanksgiving is concluded, but the weekend goes on. So uh, the best to you and your family.
1: Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you as well and everyone listening. I am thankful for you. And if if you like what you heard and you want to hear more, head to sportsmapradio.com and look at us on the Saturday schedule. You can find us right there and download our podcast to keep listening to us uh, well after we've left the air.
0: Absolutely true. And thanks so much for being with us and join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and drivingtoday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new or used car or just want automotive information from around the world, go to drivingtoday.com. That's drivingtoday.com for all your automotive information. It's the official website of America on the Road.